Hello, and welcome to my podcast, Good Grief. My name is Dr. Christine Malone, and in this podcast, we talk about trauma, tragedy, and survival. In each episode, I will interview someone that has gone through grief in some way, and we will discuss the impact it has had on their life. By sharing these stories, we hope that others won't feel alone should they be going through similar situations. Enjoy. Okay, so listeners, thanks so much for joining us today. My guest is going to tell us um, her story about um, a loss in her life and what she's done with that. So if you would like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, hi, I'm Stephanie Reed. I'm I'm 35. I think that's important. I don't know why I have to add my age in there. Um, I am a married mother of, currently I have five children in my home. Um and I am talking to you today because I lost my second daughter, um, Blake, to a genetic disease called spinal muscular atrophy in 2016. Um, I am a foster parent. I'm a foster parent mentor. I'm also a um, victim advocate for adults and kids who come into the emergency department who have been sexually or physically assaulted. That's quite a bit. Um, I have heard of spinal muscular atrophy. Do you watch the YouTube channel of um, Squirmy and Grubs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. chain. <laughs> yeah. One, of my favorite, yeah. one of my favorite things to watch. Yeah. Um, so your daughter, did you know she had this condition before she was born or, or if not, when did you find out? No, so um, I my oldest daughter was born and then when she was about, gosh, maybe six months old, seven months old, I found out I was pregnant. It was a big surprise with my second daughter. And um, for whatever reason, during that pregnancy, I just felt like something was not right. Something was off. Um, but I was told over and over again that everything was fine. Um, she was born and um, I mean, she was perfect and all the things, but I still just couldn't shake the feeling that something was not right. Um, and it was about she was probably two months old when I really was like, okay, something is wrong. Like she's having what we know now is like, um, like muscle strength issues. Like it, she couldn't really hold up her head. Um, it wasn't like an all over type thing where it was like, okay, something is clearly off. Like she could do other things. But, um, I remember mentioning to my, um, pediatrician at two months old, like she seems to struggle. And she said, no, no, no. Like she just needs more time, do tummy time. And, um, finally at four months old, it was very, very apparent that she was not okay. And so we had been kind of trying to get answers as to what was going on. Um, and we didn't get her diagnosis until um, she was six months old. And so um, spinal muscular atrophy, I'm sure a lot of people haven't heard of it. And um, it is a neuromuscular disorder disease that affects your ability to do everything. So walk, talk, eat, swallow, breathe. You need your muscles to do everything. And um, there are four different types of it. And she had the most severe type, which is what most people have. She had type one. And so um, back in 2016, so she was born in 2015, and then she wasn't diagnosed until 2016. Um, the life expectancy with no treatment and no cure is, um, I mean, she, basically, we were told she wouldn't live past definitely she would not live past two, but the likelihood of her living past one was also very, very low. What does it take to, um, to diagnose that, that disease? I mean, is there, why did it take? So some it's a, um, it's a genetic disease. Um, and you have to get, so you have to be 
you each have to be a carrier of it. So um, had I been tested when I was before I was pregnant or in pregnancy and, and seeing that I was a carrier for it. So um, people get all tripped up with this and I do too, because genetics are confusing, but we think of other more commonly known diseases like cystic fibrosis. And so if, you know, I have, I carry cystic fibrosis and so does my husband. So it's like that um, SMA, SMA, you have a one in four chance of giving it to your child. So we, we had no idea that I was a carrier. Um, and it's a blood test. Like it's just a simple blood screen that you can do before you decide to have kids or when you're pregnant. Um, and so once she was born, it was a simple blood test just to, to see. But I think that the people that we saw before that six month mark didn't want to, I mean, honestly, I felt a lot of them, they haven't seen SMA, even though it is a lot more prevalent than what, you know, there's still are a lot of people that haven't seen it and no one wants to be the one to tell you like, Hey, your child is going to die. Um, so I had to push, push, push. And even, um, we saw a specialist probably at four months and she's, she told me like, I'm hopeful for her. I, I think, you know, I think she'll be okay. We just don't know what this is. Um, and so they did do a genetic testing at that time, but it didn't include SMA. And so it wasn't until we saw a neuromuscular doctor that he had seen it in clinic. Um, and he said, this is what we're dealing with. And that was before we had like the blood test evidence, but I knew before that. Had you or your husband had anyone else in your family, um, relatives had ever had this condition? No. And, um, it is like, it's one of those things that like, it doesn't discriminate on any, you know, it's not more common in a certain race or anything like that. And oddly enough, we don't really share this piece of it very much, but when my husband was tested, um, he on paper does not carry it, but there's a tricky little thing where, um, it can kind of trick the test. So he likely does carry it because the, the, I, the idea of it being just like, they call it, what do they call it? De novo, like a, just a random, um, is so, so low. He probably does carry it. So had we known, like, had I been tested before pregnancy and then him being tested, we still would have moved forward in the way that we did because we had no idea that he actually, they call it being a silent carrier, but that doesn't happen very often. Um, I don't remember what your question was. And I just started talking about something else. Well, were there anyone else, you had any relatives whether there's any other relatives so no relatives no no nothing um and i had never i had never even heard of it before then yeah no i hadn't either until i started following um the blog that i told you or yeah. the blog i guess you call it um so, yeah. so there's no no treatment no cure so was there anything the docs could do for her during her life or was it just a a, a progression of her just getting worse so um, they, no treatment, no cure. Um, there are, it was kind of, I don't know if I'd say controversial, but like decisions needed to be made at that time. Are we going to do things to prolong her life knowing that she's never going to be able to, um, she's never going to get better. It's not going to get easier. It's going to get harder. There are families that choose interventions like um, a, a, a G-tube. And so, you know, you, it's not safe to, to eat by mouth. Um, and so you get a G-tube. And you get assistance with breathing, whether that be like a, a bypass that goes over your nose. Um, some kids eventually get trachs and things like that. Um, or somewhere in the middle of that, or um, do we, do you do nothing and no intervention in that sense? And we chose to not intervene because we felt like um, 
people, one way that people describe SMA to me, um, type one, especially is it's like ALS, but in babies. So she is never going to, she was never going to be able to successfully eat. She was never going to be, you know, safely. She was never going to be able to breathe. It was never going to get easier for her. And so we wanted to spend the time that we had with her away from doctors and hospitals and anything medical like that. Um, and so we chose to um, do just palliative care for her. We have that in common. My son, who yeah. was at the age of four, he was disabled since birth. And my husband and I um, chose that same path because we just wanted him to be comfortable. We knew we couldn't fix him. Um, and yeah. had a wonderful, wonderful pediatrician who helped us see that the more we treated him, the longer we were having him suffer. And that was eye-opening for, for me, for yeah. sure, eye-opening. So um, your daughter passed away at 11 months. Is that right? 10, 10 months, three weeks. We say 11 months. 11 yeah. months, yeah. So how has that experience um, impacted you? What's what's changed about you? Um, and you didn't even know what this diagnosis was. And then you've got this diagnosis for your daughter and it's not good. And, um, you know, nearly 11 months later, she's not not here in person anymore. So how, how has that impacted you? Um, I... Uh, you said what's changed and I would say everything, um, everything has changed, uh, in, I might cry. <laughs> um, everything has changed in every way. Um, so I would say that there's so many things that we do now, um, that I do, um, as a mom, as a person, um, everything that I never would have done had she not been here. Um, I try to like, I don't even know. I try to live completely differently than I did before. I was a very, um, I don't know. I, I try to be more like in the moment with everything, with my children, with um, my husband, with just my life, very intentional about being here and being grateful to be alive and being able to um, do all the things. So now I don't just do them for me. I also do them for her. Um, one of the, I mean, some of the bigger things we do a lot of um, you know, talking to people about SMA and um, raising funds for SMA and stuff like that. We decided, gosh, how maybe a year, two years after she died, um, we started fostering. Um, and I remember like seeing something about kids who needed homes. And like, I say like old Stephanie. So always the before, before Blake would have been like, you know, I care about those kids, but I can't do it. And then now Blake's mom is like, yes, I can. And I will, I'm going to. Um, and so I, um, we started doing that. We've adopted one of our daughters from foster care. I um, tried to go through school before I just finished. Actually, I finally got my bachelor's degree last year. I never would have done that without her. Um, I, I don't even know. I mean, I don't even know how to explain that. It's everything. Everything that we do um, is because of her and uh it's definitely i mean the whole perspective changes right like when you see how precious life is and um i don't want to waste it yeah i know um and i know you're going to be able to relate to this um when a parent says to me you know oh it's so bad my child has allergies or um one one of my friends her child had a hip dysplasia so she required this you know like a harness that she had to wear for the first three or four months of her life. And she was going to be perfectly fine. And I always say to my students, don't ever compare your worst to someone else's worst, because I sit and I listen to someone tell me about their baby with, you know, spitting up a lot or whatever. I'm thinking, yeah. wow, 
<laughs> your baby can eat. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's just yeah. like, no, it's always in my head, but I do know that I, I certainly learned that I can do anything. And I, I, I'm getting that from you too. Really. There's nothing you can't, yeah. I, I survived this. I can do this. So um, how about your relationship with your husband? Has that changed <laughs> with all this? I mean, I'm, I'm certain it has, but you know, have you, cause I know when parents are grieving, uh, you don't grieve the same way and mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's hard to really have those conversations and so on. Um, yeah. The divorce rate for parents who've lost a child is pretty high. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah. And I can, under, I can totally understand why. So, so, you know what, it has been, it's a struggle. Like it's, it has been a struggle. Um, I, we've been married for, um, in May, it will be 12 years. Um, we've been together for 13 years. We've been through a deployment. We've been through a lot of, um, not my deployment. Well, I mean, you know, his deployment, but, um, I, it, we started as soon as, um, I started therapy when I was worried about her. I remember like, I, I gotta go. I don't know, you know, and everyone's kind of like bustling around, like it's going to be fine. And then, so I started therapy. And then as soon as she was diagnosed, um, we started therapy together. And that was the only time we left Blake was an hour a week to go to therapy. Um, and we've continued kind of on and off through the years, but it has been, I mean, one of the hardest things that has come after because it's hard to be married as it as it is it's hard to be married with young kids um anyway um and we are not the same person we are very very different and so I actually had um my mom the other day lover uh she said you know you guys are lucky you know like there's so many people who um lose children and, and I was like mom we're working our asses off here like it's a constant um, intentional and we're not good at it sometimes. And sometimes it gets kind of pushed aside. Um, but it, I mean, it's really struggled our marriage itself in so many ways. Like I, um, you know, there are things as small as like, I have a tough time leaving my kids. I don't really trust people, um, as much as I, you know, and we need to leave and we need to get away. And, you know, and, um, I mean, something as simple as that, but it affects a lot, right? Like you need to have time as married people, not just as parents or whatever else. Um, yeah. And the individual journey is so different too. Like you said, I mean, you don't grieve the same way. And so we struggle a lot with, um, you know, I want to talk about this or I want to do this and I don't, or I want to go here and I don't, or, um, luckily he's been willing to, um, I mean, all the therapy on and off, um, because I know that some, I mean, I've heard from other friends, like their husbands just won't go. And that just will not do um, if you want to stay married to me. But um, but yeah, it sucked. It, it has sucked. Yeah, no, I, I get that. And I, I want to congratulate you guys for doing the, the therapy. My uh, now ex-husband didn't want to do therapy. And um, yeah. we struggled for a long time after my son died and grew, grew apart in ways that it's hard to explain and, and did eventually um, um, end the marriage. Uh, yeah. So your other kids, you have, you already had, an older child before Blake was born. Does that, yes. were, were, did she, did that child remember Blake at all? She, she, so she was, um, gosh, what was she was almost three when Blake died. And so we did a lot of like, I did a ton of like videos and all the things. And, um, she remembers what I, you know, tell her, I sometimes hope that she remembers a little bit of the things that I really tried to get her to remember. Um, but I will say that, uh, like, I think her body remembers a lot of things and a lot of that time. And, um, 
yeah 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 no I I get that my my daughter was um three when her brother died and she doesn't remember um him in her brain but I have videos right. of her recently of her when we first brought her home from the hospital and her brother in his wheelchair and I'm introducing him to her and uh, of course she doesn't remember that she's a newborn but she's like oh that was right sweet. That made me cry that was so sweet and I said yeah but I just you know he was he was he was here he was somebody and he was yeah and, and yeah. um yeah not remembering him is 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 tough how about like from friends and family did you and do you still I mean do you feel like you're supported by friends and family I know a lot of people when it is a child that's passed people are very uncomfortable having that conversation yeah. they talk to you they don't know what to say they feel like oh I just won't bring her up because certainly you don't want to talk about her where um I know for me I'd love to talk about my son so it's like it, it doesn't yeah. how has that experience been for you um you know it has been one of the um I think one of the toughest parts, especially as we went through it when she was still here. And then um, like in the immediate, I'd say maybe like first year after she died, I was so like distraught over people's reaction and that reaction being like, I can't be around you. Um, I have my, my family is, has been as supportive as they can be my family, like my parents and my sister, my brother-in-law, you know, um, and they, a struggle because they're also they were also going through it and they still go through it too um I think that uh, a lot of our friends um really disappointed to be very frank really disappointed me disappointed my husband in the way that they acted some didn't some were wonderful um I have had some fence apologize to me and say like I'm just very sorry that I wasn't there um and you know in the on the one hand like looking back now I mean we're we're years away from it. And I get it a little bit more, but back then I didn't, I was so, um, just, I mean, I couldn't even function. And then to feel like I, I, you know, had leprosy, like no one wanted to come around me and catch the fact that my daughter was going to die. Right. Like, and, um, and that was, it was terrible. I mean, it was terrible. Like I, it was terrible people that you've known your whole entire life and they can't even like, you know, I mean, or it's like, let me know if you need anything. Or, you know, I, I had one person that I had known for a really long time and she came over and um, I saw her one time. And then it was like, I didn't see her anymore. You know, it was just like, it's too, or I had a friend tell, um, my husband was kind of talking um, in front of her and she said, please just don't, I can't, it's too sad. Like you can't talk about it anymore. It's too sad. And so, you know, you want to punch people in the face a lot. I mean, we, we had a lot of that afterwards too. Um, a lot, one thing that was just so, so hard for me was the complaints, like you said, you know, about other people's kids. Like I, I mean, it was to the point where we had to, there were people who we couldn't, I couldn't physically be around because I would, I wanted to just lash out like, um, you know, complaints about having to, you know, get a different car because your new, you know, your new baby wasn't going to fit in your old car. And what a burden that was to have to buy a new car. And, you know, I don't, and again, like looking back now, I'm like, I don't think that it was intended in the way that it was said, but it was just, it's just, it, 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 su it sucked. That sucked. Yeah. I want to ask you, and I, I, I certainly have several answers to this myself, but I'm curious from your perspective, if you were talking to someone whose friend or family member was going through what you've gone through, what would you advise them to do for their friend? Oh, and I, I do that now. And I, you know what? I actually kind of like that. I feel like that's another way I can be Blake's mom in trying to assist. And I'm not like an expert, but um, I mean, I kind of am. Let me just give myself a little bit of credit. I'm a little bit of an expert when it comes to, you know, and I think that 
just like having someone for me, having someone who I knew was not going to try to fix me, was not going to try, was not going to act like they were uncomfortable and get all in their feelings about whatever. Someone who could say like, I am so sorry, this is horrible. And I'm going to sit right here and I'm going to do whatever you want me to do. If that's just listen to you, if that's bring you food, if that's just text you. I mean, I tell my friends like text the person every day. Don't even, and don't expect them to respond and don't do any, text them every day. I'm thinking about you and be genuine in that, you know, um, don't say, how are you? And then not want to know how they are because they might be horrible. Um, people who can sit with you in the shit. And for a lot of us, that shit lasts for months and years and a really long time. Um, and that, I think my group is pretty small. The people that I can, that I feel I can, you know, really be in it. But the advice I would give <laughs> is to don't try to fix something that's totally unfixable. And um, let that person do what they need to do by, and just be there with them. Yeah. And that could be be on the phone. That can be, it doesn't mean sit right next to them. Maybe it does. Um, yeah. I, I would add to that, um, taking care of practical things, like taking care of the other children, come clean my house, make some yep. food. I know, I remember my younger sister took my older kids to the Puyallup Fair. Um, so they were gone for a whole day and I didn't have to worry about taking care of them while I was in the midst of my own um trying to take care of myself so yeah, yeah uh, that that I get I I uh, have one extremely good friend who who I remember her sitting down with me and saying what what can I do what can I do because she did she, had, she was clueless what do I do and I just said yeah. the same thing. just just be there just be there for me just be there and let me let me talk without you know don't don't feel like I have to say something just listen to me even if I'm not talking was kind of the phrase that yeah I used. yeah yeah so um, I would like to know also uh, parents who might be going through some of the same things, maybe not with SMA, but with a life-limiting illness, um, you know, the end is is coming. What um, would you say to them um, or what have you said? Because I'm going to guess you've probably talked to parents like this. What, what, have, what do you feel is helpful? So I would say as difficult as this is, like you got to try to just take care of yourself while you're taking care of everything and everyone else. But trying to take care of yourself in the midst of all the terribleness. Um, I would say we took pictures, like we got family pictures done every month from the month we found out until the month that she died. Um, I would say do everything that you want to do. Um, and the biggest thing I would say is don't worry about other people. Do not worry about how it looks to your neighbor or your mom or your, it's not about anybody but you and your family and whatever that looks like that, I mean, it can look totally different than, um, but that includes like your choices and your, where you go and how you do things and all of that. It's about your child and you and your family. And that's really all. Yeah. That's all that matters. I, I completely agree with you. And I, I think yeah. for some, I'm, uh, I'll speak for myself choosing um, palliative care. I felt like at times um, people questioned that and wondered if that was um, the right thing to do. And I thought, well, first of all, you're not in my shoes. So you don't get to choose whether that's the right thing to do. And um, yeah, my son was beautiful. So to, to look at him and say, oh, well, you know, this child's life's not going to be very long. That again, don't don't judge what another parent is doing. It's not your choice. And, and be thankful that you're not in those shoes because it's a horrible right. So yeah, I, I, right. yeah, I remember feeling like I needed to, to ex excuse things. I had to make excuses. And, and for I, sure, for sure. 
thinking back on that now I'm angry about it. It's like, why, why do I have to make an excuse to this person for this thing that was really none of their business had nothing to do with them to begin with. Right. So. We never, we never, I, I think that me telling you, that's the first time I've ever like talked about that decision. Um, I mean, and I've talked about a lot of stuff like on my blog years ago and just with people um, and the little bit of like kind of pushback and from actually other people, other parents in like the SMA community who they chose a different route. And um, it was extremely hurtful. I mean, to have people say the things that they're saying. Um, and now I realize, you know, but it's not, like you said, I think that there are people that have so many opinions yet you've never been in my shoes. And even when you are like, you're not me and this isn't your child, you know? So, and, and it looks totally different. I mean, it's not all these different things, even though the disease is the same, it looks different for, from child to child. And regardless, you get to make your decisions about your child. And um, yeah, how, how dare you judge somebody who's going through the absolute worst thing? I mean, we all agree this is the worst thing. And then you have something to say about what I, you know, what I think is best for my child. I just think that's insane. And I will also put out there that um, in my case, people who have children who were uh, as disabled as my son, if they do choose to provide care for them and and prolong their lives, that's their choice. And I don't judge that either, right? I mean, I have a friend right. whose son lived to be 18 years old and he was uh, extremely disabled. And um, But they made care choices that um, got him to live to 18 years old and that was that was their choice. And I, I respect that from here right. to that's their child right right like yeah, they, they know their, their child and no they know no their judgment. child and i don't get it i didn't ever got any judgment from them either when when um when they knew our choices were different so so um is there anything else you'd like to share with us before we end this has been a wonderful interview i've, I've enjoyed very much <laughs> family and all the things you do uh i don't know i don't think so i um i don't know i don't think i have anything else other than i think it's great that you're doing this for people yeah. and um, I hope that, I don't know, I hope it helps. It's a tough thing. I think that we don't, learning once, you know, getting into this terrible grief world, like it's not talked about enough. There's not enough people who are saying how things really are. And so I think it's great and important to say how they are. Yeah. Take away the stigma and just say, you know what, this happens to people. And the longer we don't talk about it, the more it is a stigma, right? Whereas if we can- yeah, right speak its truth and just say this is what's going on um there will be other people in our shoes it's not it's unfortunately these things happen right i mean these diseases happen yeah. injuries happen and it, it happens um so yeah if i can wave a magic wand i'd say oh all these things are gone nobody's gonna have these problems ever again nobody ever right it's unfortunately not within my power to do so so um again i super appreciate your time and your story um and I would like for you to send to me any links you have. I know you've got a, um, I said a blog and whatever other uh, resources that you think might be helpful to our listeners when they hear your episode. Well, thanks for having me. Thanks, Stephanie. Thank you for listening to this episode of Good Grief. To hear more about my personal story, please pick up a copy of the book, The Spider Killer, a memoir of trauma, tragedy, and survival. You can find the book on Amazon and Kindle.